Hey, welcome back to the Addicted to Healthy podcast, your one-stop destination for all things health and a kick-ass life. I'm Laurence, certified nutritional practitioner and health coach and the host of the Addicted to Healthy podcast. Today, I have Vivian Alred on the podcast. She is a UK-based naturopathic nutritional therapist. She studied for three years at the College of Naturopathic Medicine after struggling with her own health issues for many years during early adulthood, adulthood, which she will go through with us on the podcast today. She now works primarily with women struggling with hormonal imbalances and digestive issues, educating them about the healing properties of food, nutritional supplements, lifestyle, and other natural remedies. Vivian offers both online and in-person consultations and aims to identify and address the root causes of her clients' symptoms, supporting them with personalized health protocols. She's passionate about helping as many women as possible overcome their health issues, and she's dedicated to sharing regular content, including weekly blog posts, newsletters, and episodes on her podcast, Hormones and Harmony, plus daily education, inspiration, and Q&As on her Instagram page. Really excited to dive into a lot of PCOS questions around managing PCOS, what it is, what to do about it, and specifically looking at the gut health link with PCOS. So super excited to talk with Vivian today, and I am sure you guys are going to love it. So let's get started. So Vivian, welcome onto the podcast. I'm super excited to have you today talk all things hormones and PCOS and gut health. I think it's one of our passions. Uh, we could probably talk about this for two hours, but we will keep it to the designated time. <laughs> but I'd love for you to start out and talk a little bit about you, your story, and how you became a nutritionist specializing in hormones specifically. Yeah, cool. So it's a pretty extensive story. So I don't want to kind of spend half an hour just talking through everything because it is quite a lot. So I do have a podcast episode. If someone really wants to listen to 30 minutes of me talking about my whole entire um, health history, then they can go ahead and listen to the podcast um, episode number one on the Hormones in Harmony podcast. But just as an overview, all of my symptoms really started when I was age 18. So throughout childhood, throughout my teen years, throughout school, I was pretty much like perfect health. Well, I thought I was anyway. Well, my skin was really clear, so I thought I was fine. I skipped through the teenage acne phase. I didn't have any digestive issues. I could eat whatever I wanted. I always joked that I had like an iron stomach, so I could tolerate pretty much any food, any combination of foods as much as I wanted. And that all really changed when I turned 18. I was getting a little bit self-conscious like teenage girls do these days. I thought I was overweight, but looking back, I absolutely was not. But that led me to join a gym. And I have quite an obsessive personality. So when I get interested in something I take it to the extreme so my one hour of workouts three times a week turned into two hours of back-to-back classes like five six times a week and I did lose weight I did feel better and um, start to look really good and got really like lots of compliments on that which obviously makes you continue with what you're doing but I wasn't fueling my workouts like I should be I was pretty much fueling on like a plain chicken salad, um, bran flakes, skim milk in the morning, piece of fruit, um, piece of toast for lunch. So I thought I was being healthy and obviously restricting calories, you think that equals weight loss, so therefore equals health. But after a couple of months, I started to notice that my energy wasn't great and my skin started to really like freak out. So I would, that clear porcelain skin that I had was 
filled with cystic inflamed acne and my period went missing too. So I left it for a few months and I thought it was actually a good thing initially because who wants a period? Like, what's the point? It's not really important. That's why I thought, obviously, much different now, but back in the day, like, you don't really care about your period and it's less hassle. And um, I didn't really have any period problems anyway from when I started at age 14. And another thing was that my hair was shedding quite a lot and I'd always had like really luscious thick hair and I always got complimented on it. It was always really shiny, but then it started to become like really limp and lifeless and it was coming out in clumps in the shower. So the the skin and the hair issue, that was what really concerned me. My period, I didn't really care about, but it was my mum who actually made me go to the doctors because my period was missing for four months and when we went to the doctors, he did some blood tests. He recommended that I go for an ultrasound to investigate PCOS. So I did that. And the obviously, because I wasn't cycling, um, of course, I had polycystic ovaries. Uh, we can maybe get into the potential downsides of ultrasound testing. But obviously, I had the classic appearance of cystic ovaries just because I wasn't ovulating and wasn't cycling, but my androgens were quite high. And obviously I had the physical characteristics of PCOS with the skin and the hair loss and missing periods. So I checked all the boxes and was therefore given kind of an, two options, either wait and see what happens, wait and see if your period come back and normalizes, or you've, you can go on the birth control pill and clear up your skin, get your period back and stop your hair loss. So obviously being 18, I wanted my symptoms to go like as soon as possible. So I jumped at the chance of being on the pill. Like all of my friends were on it. So I felt it was something cool. So that's when I went on the pill. And the first one was really not a great experience. My skin got 10 times worse and just exploded in cystic acne. My hair like was shedding rapidly every single day. And my hormones, I just felt so depressed. Within like a couple of days, I was just like rock bottom depressed. And again, it was my mom. She was like, no, I'm not having this. I was trying to push through and say that it'd be fine. But she made me go back to the doctor and go on a different pill. So I, I went back and got swapped to Yasmin and stayed on that one for two years, which, yeah, it did help clear up my symptoms. My skin was great again. My hair loss stopped shedding as much, but it never grew back. Like it would never grow. My body hair wouldn't grow. My nails wouldn't grow for like two years. I think I shaved my legs twice. So that again that was something great at the time like who wants to have the problem of shaving the legs when you can go on the pill and not have that issue so I stayed on that for about two years but about 18 months into it I went to the US to work at a summer camp so I worked as a counsellor at a camp in um, Philadelphia uh, Pennsylvania sorry and I was an aerobics and yoga instructor for eight weeks and the combination of the poor diet there. So it was like pretty much junk food and my healthy, my, my goals to be healthy and eat reduced calories obviously didn't work out when I was there. I didn't really have an option with that. And the, the job that I was doing was pretty intense. So I was doing like four or five hours of exercise every single day in the intense heat. As soon as I woke up in the morning till 11 PM at night, I was active and doing things all day long. So you can imagine like the adrenal stress that comes from that type of job. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And again, I felt, I didn't feel that bad at the time. I was just noticing that I was developing really bad leg cramps 
and I thought it was because I was wearing like flip-flops and I was wearing sandals all of the time and exercising maybe I wasn't eating enough salt in my diet all of these things were running through my head but I would wake up in the middle of the night literally crying in pain because my legs were cramping so bad and looking back I'm pretty sure that it was a blood clot and that's really scary to think of but I'm so fortunate that something didn't happen, but it just didn't cross my mind at the time as being a possibility. So the last week when I was at the camp and I went traveling around New York for a couple of weeks after that, and I got really bad food poisoning twice in about one week. And after that, when I got home, my gut was just never the same. I would literally bloat after every single food that I ate, even drinking water. My belly would like be six months pregnant. I was having diarrhea, then constipated. I was like not digesting my food correctly. I was really tired. So that turned me to look into more of the natural things because I realized how bad I was feeling off that terrible diet and over-exercising. I was starting to notice that maybe I was overdoing it a little bit. So that led me to seek the help of a nutritional therapist. And she really helped me figure out like the root cause of the issue and inspired me to eventually go on to study this to help other people as well. We did some gut work, found out that I had SIBO, so small intestine bacterial overgrowth. I had two parasites. I had yeast overgrowth. I had a ton of malabsorption and inflammation in my gut, which obviously makes sense. But I really think it was compounded by pretty much everything. So the birth control pill, the over-exercising, the poor diet, it all made sense. And there's no wonder that I developed something like this. So after a good few years, it was really like up and down with my my gut health I was sensitive to so many foods like histamine and salicylate rich foods and I was on the low FODMAP diet I just felt like I was reacting to everything for years so I dropped a ton of weight I eventually came off the pill because I was told that that may be exacerbating the issue and my period didn't return for two years but I was really underweight I think I lost like 40 pounds in total like 20 kilograms and I'm like 5'11", so I went down to like nine stone, and that's just not that's just not um, the right weight for me. And yeah, eventually over the years, I started to figure it out. I addressed the gut issues. I enrolled to study at a college where I trained to become a nutritional therapist over three years, and that's the job that I'm doing now. And yeah, just over the past like two years, I'd say my health has really taken a positive shift. I've really figured things out and hence why I'm so passionate about these subjects of female hormones and gut health. I always joke that I feel like I've had every single hormone issue and every single digestive issue. I've been through them all so I can really understand what people are going through. But yeah, if you want a much more in-depth, I've given like the quick overview because it is a pretty lengthy process. But yeah, definitely refer back to that other episode because I could go on forever. Yes, thank you for sharing. And I just always see this with, you know, practitioners. It's always a trigger, like we go through and shit. And then we're like, oh my God, other people need to learn about this. I need to share. And then it becomes a career. So that's why I always love asking this question because it's always like a trigger, right? Yeah, exactly. And I feel like the practitioners who have been through it, they're usually the, the best practitioners because they're passionate, they've done their own research, they've studied, they've self-researched, they've been up at like 3am Googling things and reading PubMed studies, trying to figure it out for themselves. But now we've got all of this information floating around in our head that we want to pass on to other people. 
Yeah, hundred percent. I completely agree with you. So it's kind of like the struggles did happen for a reason. Like we wonder like, why is this happening to me? But there is usually a reason behind it. And for me, probably the same thing for you. Like sometimes like I went through the cystic acne and like all those digestive issues and things like that, but I'm actually so grateful that happened now. Cause yeah, I can now understand and help others. Right. So yeah, I completely agree with that. There's a silver lining. Mm-hmm, exactly. So I want to dive into a little bit of the PCOS. You mentioned ultrasound, but how did you figure out you had PCOS and can you talk a little bit about the testing that needs to be done? Yeah, sure. So as I mentioned, the GP was like the first my first option because who else do you go to? You, that's like your only your only option, in my opinion. Um, especially in the UK, you don't really have naturopaths or any alternative practitioners. It's not really a thing. So when you go to your doctors, you trust everything they say. And the test that they did, I think they run some basic blood work and my sex hormones, one of the androgens, they didn't tell me anything like this. So I had to kind of go back and dig into my previous lab work in future years. But the ultrasound is probably gold standard along with some blood testing and symptomatic, like a symptomatic picture. If you if you tick the boxes of an irregular or absent menstrual cycle or ovulation, um, elevated androgens on blood work or clinically, like with your symptoms, that could be hair loss or acne or both. And the other one is, what am I missing? The ovaries, right? The ovaries, the polycystic ovaries on ultrasound. So in order to have a PCOS diagnosis, you need two out of the three. I had all three, so I was given that PCOS diagnosis. And at one point, I was actually, when I lost a lot of weight and my period didn't return, I was actually wondering if I actually had hypothalamic amenorrhea triggered by the overexercising and undereating initially. And I think I actually did have some degree of HA with PCOS. They can often go together. So yeah, kind of for a few months, I was like, no, I don't have PCOS. I'm fine. But now I understand that I definitely do have that. And I also had HA at the same time. And so do you see a problem with the ultrasound? Because it's not the same. Polycystic ovaries are not the same as like classic cysts, right? Yeah, I have a ton of clients come to me. They said that they have they have polycystic ovaries. And I always have to ask, is it the syndrome or do you just have ovarian cysts? And they have no idea. So it's it should be the job of the doctors to differentiate the two because they are quite different. Ovarian cysts are usually larger. There's usually less of them. And they're more related to, um, in my experience, conditions like estrogen dominance, so elevated estrogen relative to progesterone. It could also be thyroid issues. Um, I see that most commonly, whereas polycystic ovarian syndrome, you can have the presence of multiple follicles. And these aren't like tumors or growths that I thought they were initially. They are just the result of an an ovulatory cycle, meaning that you didn't ovulate, all of these follicles are trying to mature and develop. And unfortunately, that month you didn't ovulate or you're leading up to ovulation. So for me personally, I don't actually think it's relevant if you've had an ultrasound. I don't even think it's important for the PCOS diagnosis because if you take a random woman off the street who's got no problems at all, she's got no diagnosis, no hormone imbalances, probably 25% of those women are going to have that same appearance on an ultrasound. And it's completely normal. So for me, if a client hasn't had that ultrasound, then I'm not too concerned. I go off other lab tests and functional lab tests and symptoms and like client history to determine whether it's an issue. And 
I'm not too concerned with the ultrasound because like I said, many women have that appearance and some people are often told that it's the string of pearls on the ovaries because there's multiple tiny little follicles which are just underdeveloped eggs and they're not the problem they're the result of a deeper problem like a metabolic disorder insulin resistance inflammation not ovulating for whatever reason yes i completely agree and i also see like a lot of teenagers getting diagnosed and they actually do have a lot more cysts like it's a lot more common so especially if you're just looking at the cysts right like it's just not it's not a good indicator. So I'm very happy that you mentioned that. Um, it's really important to look at the whole picture and then make sure that you're not just doing the ultrasound um, and get a pro proper diagnosis. And then there's so many differentials as well. Like you're mentioning the HA, um, you know, hypothyroidism. There are lots of other things that can mimic PCOS, but it might not be PCOS. So make sure that you guys know and, you know, see a practitioner who knows their stuff. Um, you did mention the birth control pill and as we usually talk about, it's like a Band-Aid. It's not really addressing what's going on, which we're going to talk about the main imbalances. Um, but as you mentioned, you did feel better on the birth control pill for a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's it because it just, symptoms. yeah, it just shuts down your whole entire hormonal production. So your brains, your ovary communication is just on shutdown for those two years that I run, maybe 20 years for some women. And it's no wonder that your symptoms clear up. It's because your natural hormone productions aren't functioning and you're being kind of pumped with synthetic hormones day after day, same levels, um, no real fluctuations like we naturally get in a regular menstrual cycle. So the pill also can be very certain types of pills like Yasmin that I mentioned. Some of them are more beneficial for PCOS because they increase sex hormone binding globulin. And this is, it's also shortened to SHBG. And this is like a sponge in your bloodstream. So it goes through in your bloodstream and soaks up a lot of excess hormones, particularly androgens. So if you have a pill that increases that, then it's going to bind to excess testosterone and other androgens in your system and really suppress some of the androgenic issues that you can have. So oily skin, acne, hair loss, irritability, it can really suppress those. But the issue is then once you come off, then your body needs to relearn how to produce hormones again. So the minute you stop the pill, your own hormone production needs to kick in. And oftentimes it goes into a bit of overdrive initially. So it needs to learn how to communicate with the brain again. Your ovaries and your adrenal glands need to learn how to produce testosterone. And they can go a little bit crazy for the first few months. And this is also commonly known as maybe post-birth control pill syndrome it can be called post-pill PCOS, and it's also known as an androgen, androgen rebound. And this is a common cause when people's skin flows up or they get a lot of symptoms after stopping the pill. It usually hits at that three-month mark and can happen for a good few months after that as well, especially if you haven't taken the proper steps in supporting your body on that transition off the pill. That could be really helpful, but just when your body's trying to relearn how to how to produce things again and rebalance hormones and start ovulating, then that's why it can be a little bit of a tricky transition coming off the birth control pill. And hence why a lot of women are scared to come off the pill. Maybe they do come off for a couple of months and develop all these problems and then go straight back onto it because they're scared of things getting worse and they don't want all of these problems. So they just remain on the pill for years and years until they go into menopause and then they transition to hormone replacement therapy <laughs> because they don't actually want to 
see what's going on with their real hormones. They'd much rather them stay suppressed. But for me, I'd want to know what's going on because un- imbalanced hormones long term can absolutely put you at risk of developing things like cardiovascular disease, osteoporosis, um, insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes. So if it was me, I'd want to know exactly what's going on and not kind of symptom manage and put a band-aid over everything. Yes, I agree. And I think it can be really difficult if you're literally just given that solution, like the birth control pill, it fixes everything, it'll fix your PCOS, or or even if you're feeling better and yeah, you're, you know, masking those symptoms, then you're kind of like, why do I need to get off of it? I'm obviously doing better, but we are masking things and we definitely don't want to do that. So what are these imbalances that we are talking about that you see with PCOS that are being masked by the birth control pill and that are really at like the underlying causes and triggers? I see three main root causes and I'll go through them one by one. So the first one is insulin resistance. It's believed that 80% of women with PCOS have some degree of insulin resistance. So there's some people who have mild insulin resistance who may not even notice any symptoms yet. And there could be full-blown insulin resistance where they're maybe pre-diabetic and really noticing issues with the blood sugar regulation. And the issue with with insulin resistance is that your when insulin levels are really high that can stimulate the ovaries to produce excess androgens so testosterone androstenedione dhea and these are what contribute to maybe anovulatory cycles so you're not releasing an egg because the excess androgens which are male hormones interfere with that whole process so that's the number one root cause i see commonly and it's a common misconception that you need to be overweight or obese to have insulin resistance. You can absolutely be lean, even underweight, and have insulin issues as well. And even if you've had your blood glucose levels checked by your doctor and you're told that they're fine, that's not enough to rule out insulin resistance. Um, you actually need much more comprehensive testing. Ideally, you need um, postprandial, so eat, when, once you've eaten your food, tracking how your insulin and your glucose levels respond after foods because a lot of people have regular within range even optimal ranges of blood glucose fasting but once they eat the food they're producing way too much insulin it stays around for a long period of time and just can cause a lot of issues as well the second root cause that i see is inflammation this can stem from a number of different factors like poor gut health Um, It could be a nutrient deficiency. It could be foods that you're eating that you're sensitive to. um, And it could be an imbalance of your omega fatty acids. So inflammation can um, oftentimes stem from the gut. And gut health, I know we're going to come on to that, but gut health is a huge factor. It's not nearly as, shouldn't be overlooked and it's not as investigated as it should be, especially in conventional approaches as well. And then the final root cause I see is stress. And people actually don't know that your adrenal glands, it's not just your ovaries that produce androgens, it's also your adrenal glands, which are your stress kind of responding glands that produce things like adrenaline and cortisol. So if you're pumping out cortisol and adrenaline all day long, because you're just overworked, you're not sleeping well, you're over-exercising, under-eating, then alongside the cortisol and adrenaline, um, adrenaline you're also producing a lot of these male hormones as well um, particularly DHEAS this is commonly known as adrenal PCOS so if you see that androgen elevated then we can kind of guarantee that your your stress is playing a role in this as well so there would be 
the three main root causes that we see. And again, conventional approach is eat less, move more, you have insulin resistance, like it's your own fault, manage your carbs, go on a keto diet and you'll be fine. But there are so many other factors with that. And even with insulin resistance, I have a blog post on how to overcome insulin resistance. And some people are surprised that it's not just about carbohydrates and sugars. Things like lack of sleep can cause insulin resistance, chronic stress, nutrient deficiencies and inflammation, gut dysbiosis can all worsen that as well. So there's so many different factors and it can be quite complex, but I think that's why I love it so much because it's not just about diet. Diet's one component, but there are so many other important things. And I feel like a detective trying to figure out what someone's cause is and contributing factors to the personal issues. And the gut comes up a lot. Um, I talk about it all the time. You talk about it all the time. You know, functional doctors talk about it all the time. How does it worsen PCOS and how is it contributing to these symptoms? So you can imagine having chronic inflammation in your gut, whether that's because you're eating foods that you're sensitive to or you have a gut infection in there. You can imagine if there's like a chronic stress happening low grade 24-7, then all of your body's energy and resources and priority is going to go to that, not going to whether you're going to have a child because the role of your menstrual cycle is ultimately to be fertile, to potentially have a child and pass on your genetics. So if your body senses stress in whatever different way, it could be an external stress, you've been chased by a saber-toothed tiger, or it could be an internal stress, you've got this chronic infection in your gut all of the time, stealing your nutrients, causing inflammation, then your brain just like shuts down your fertility and it can cause you not to ovulate or delays ovulation or makes you less fertile so that you can't potentially have a baby because that would be like the worst time to do that. Plus, it's been shown that gut dysbiosis, which means an imbalance of good and bad bacteria, can drive insulin resistance. So again, you could be eating a perfect diet, low carb, keto, and you could still be insulin resistant because your gut is driving that. Your gut drives inflammation, which can damage the insulin receptors, and it can actually increase blood sugar because of the stress. So there's so many different mechanisms. Plus, if you have gut issues, a lot of the time people have malabsorption. So I, when I was going through all of my issues and I was trying to overcome them, when I changed my diet to a much healthier diet, I was eating organic, grass-fed meat, wild fish, organic food, like paying a ton of money, but I was not benefiting from it at all because I wasn't even absorbing everything. I had low stomach acid. I had sluggish bile flow. My digestive enzymes were just really reduced. So if you haven't got enough enzymes to break down your food, and you've got inflammation in your gut, so you're not actually absorbing things correctly, then you don't have the building blocks to actually create your hormones, like progesterone, and you need nutrients, vitamins, and minerals to support liver detoxification. So if you've ever seen a liver detoxification nutrient chart, you can see phase one, phase two, and phase three. You can see there's a ton of nutrients needed for each phase. So if you're lacking in just one, that can really prevent you from breaking down your hormones correctly once they've been used so they can end up recirculating, floating around and causing a lot of dominant symptoms, whether that's from, tends to be estrogen or, or testosterone that cause some of these issues too. And so how would we know that we have a problem with our gut? Because obviously, like if you have IBS, if you're bloating, like it's pretty obvious, right? But mm -hmm. do you need to have these symptoms? Can you like be symptom free and also be having an issue in the gut? No, the issue is that 
you don't necessarily have to have symptoms to have a gut issue. And I think this is why it's not commonly overlooked because people are convinced they're absolutely fine because they're having a bowel movement every day. They don't really get bloated or they think it's normal. They have gas, but again, they think it's normal to have like burping and farting every single day. And so the, the common digestive symptoms, like you're going to suspect that you have a gut issue if you're having things like constipation and diarrhea, acid reflux, bloating, pain and cramping. If you've got them, then yes, like you've probably got a, a, a gut infection of some sort or a dysbiosis, but they don't necessarily have to be digestive-based symptoms. Even people with celiac disease, which is where the small intestine is pretty much destroyed from an autoimmune process, they a lot of the time go to the doctors and don't have digestive symptoms they go with skin rashes and joint pain and fatigue and weight loss so their whole intestines are a lot of the time really inflamed and they don't have any digestive symptoms at all so you can't necessarily rule out a digestive issue if you don't have symptoms so I like to recommend gut testing for a lot of my clients with PCOS especially the ones who we don't just get the results that we expect with simple nutrition, lifestyle, supplement changes. And it's important to always test and not guess when it comes to gut health because I can pretty much say for a lot of people who I suspect that they have some sort of gut imbalance, but it's really important to know what you're dealing with because a lot of these things like not enough good bacteria, too much bad bacteria, parasites, yeast, they all have similar symptoms, but a lot of the time they have different treatment options. So I always recommend testing anyway. I'm a big fan of functional lab testing, but again, it is private. So you sometimes have to pay pay out of pocket if it's not covered by insurance. But in my opinion, it's worth it to get some answers and save your time, trying different probiotics, restricting your diet more, trying different things in your lifestyle to relieve your symptoms when you could just, yeah, pay a little bit of money up front, but save time, energy, stress, and money in the long run as well completely agree with you like it's definitely something that just takes so much more time and energy and money if you just keep guessing right like for instance if you're having bloating and you're like oh maybe I think it's candida and then you take some anti-candida herbs and then it's still not going away or like maybe it's a bit better but there's still some symptoms coming up and you're you read something about parasites maybe it's a parasite but maybe you actually have like SIBO like you were describing for your case you know like it really depends on what it is and then that usually just ends up being more expensive in the long run and just more frustrating so yeah I definitely recommend doing testing it's definitely worth it but Mm -hmm. In regards to gut healing, um, putting aside kind of like, obviously, every person is different. We're all going to have different issues going on. What does gut healing really look like? Because I think a lot of people get really confused when we kind of put the word out there, like gut healing, like what does that even mean, really? (laughs) Yeah, so you're right that it is different for everyone. Like the the quote, one man's... um, one man's is it treasure is another man's poison or something like that, like that. <laughs> mess that one up but you get what i mean one man's meat is another man's i don't poison. even know either so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so what i'm saying is that something that's good for you may be the worst thing ever for someone else and vice versa so for me personally at the start of my gut healing quote journey i was having probiotic and fermented everything i was having sauerkraut every single day I was having kefir I was drinking kombucha 
and I was wondering why my skin was absolutely terrible. My skin was itchy. I had hives. I thought I was detoxing and I was actually having like a severe reaction to histamines. So the, some of the healthiest foods out there, like bone broth and collagen and avocados were some of the worst foods that I could have eaten. And this isn't to scare people off and make them restrict everything and go on like a low histamine diet. Um, again, I have like blog posts on that. So don't just go on to Google, like find someone that knows a bit about what they're talking about and don't just jump into anything that you hear on online. But this just shows that there isn't one size fits all diet, but there are some pretty general overviews of what you should be focusing on starting with eliminating the processed packaged foods that they are even really food if you think about it they're not even what we're used to so our body doesn't recognize them and the one food protein that's been shown to cause gut inflammation and leaky gut is gluten and that's regardless of if you've got celiac disease or you've been labeled as gluten sensitive or you feel like you're fine. There's been studies to show that everyone responds to gluten in a negative way after eating it. It just depends on how long that inflammatory process happens for afterwards. So I always recommend people eliminate gluten and sometimes a lot of the time actually dairy as well for the first couple of months, just while we work on reducing inflammation, improving gut health, restoring the gut barrier, those types of things. And sometimes people can reduce dairy if they're fine with that. And I always recommend organic and raw dairy if possible. But gluten, I'm not really a fan of, particularly like the genetic, genetically modified. And it's just not the same as it was like 50 years ago. Plus people, when they have it, they're having it like 20 times per day in everything. So that would be the one thing that most people should stay away from as much as possible. But once you've got to be a little bit healthier, you should be able to tolerate like on occasion and you if you're not celiac and things or got an allergy um it could sneak in every now and again it's not going to cause a lot of problems but for gut restoration i typically focus on and recommend to clients a paleo template so a paleo style diet and again not labels or anything like that but i just feel like it's healthy it's helpful to give an a label because you kind of get an idea of to what I mean so like real whole foods organic as much as possible because pesticides used in food are bit, pretty much antibiotics and the at a low dose it's not like taking a seven day round of antibiotics but you can imagine eating food three times a day for decades then it's going to have some detriment to your gut health as well so meat fish eggs veggies fruits healthy fats those types of things, things that your grandparents would recognize as food, basically. And then starting there, I think that's a good template and a general overview. And the good thing about the paleo diet, I believe, is that it removes a lot of the common allergens. So it's pretty anti-inflammatory, but obviously there can be some tweaks that need to be adjusted with there as well. People may have an egg sensitivity or certain healthy fats, like me with avocado, it didn't do well. So after that, it becomes more personalized, but I think it's a good overview as well. And my goal is to keep clients diets as broad as possible so i know that i just mentioned like a paleo diet which can restrict some healthy foods like legumes and beans and things quinoa um on some plants but i've been in the place as well where i restricted so many foods and i was down to literally like five foods for a good few months and didn't eat out and took tupperware with me when i went to a restaurant and um 
ended up like fearful of food and that's not the goal at all because the more you restrict the harder it is to heal like the more you restrict food whether you're doing it for calories or restricting fat or you're just scared that they're going to cause symptoms you're actually making the issue worse in the long run because food is nutrients and energy so if you're restricting that in any way then you're it's going to be harder to heal and my my thoughts as well is that it can be difficult to overcome gut issues, especially if it's something like bacterial overgrowth and leaky gut and severe insulin resistance and inflammation. I think it's hard from my experience to heal on a vegetarian or vegan diet. Um, hence why I'm not really a fan of that as well. And that's like a little bit upsetting to some people, but just from my experience, I just, especially if someone has PCOS insulin resistance and gut issues, I just feel like there's not enough food, not enough high quality protein, too many carbohydrates in some cases for someone to overcome those issues as well. And it's not just all about diet either. So diet is important, but it's not the be all and end all. And that's coming from a nutritional therapist. So you could be eating the best diet in the world, but if you're running out the door, eating a salad or eating it at the wheel of your car, you're stressed out your mind, you're not sleeping, then again, it's not going to benefit you. It's probably just going to make you bloated and feel terrible. So mindful eating, stress management, they're just as, if not more important than the food that you're eating. I 100,000% agree. I also developed disordered eating patterns from kind of discovering all of my balances with PCOS and also like how many foods I couldn't eat. So that's a tricky one, though, if it comes to, for instance, somebody has leaky gut, they're dealing with all of these issues, we need to do like, you know, a gut healing protocol. How do we really address cutting out certain foods, usually for a specific amount of time, and also not going insane and getting into like the disordered eating patterns? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really tough. And that's something that I like struggled with a lot. Plus, I had multiple food sensitivities. So even if the the foods weren't affecting my gut, they were affecting my skin, I would get hives, I would get itchiness, it'd give me anxiety. So it can be really tricky. I think that's why it's important to work with someone because if you're doing this on your own, you just keep reading things and, well, maybe this is the issue, maybe it's not, so you'll take nuts out. Then maybe maybe it's seeds, maybe it's cruciferous vegetables and you just end up really restricted and you just have no idea what to eat um, and you can get into a dangerous place there as well. So it's important to work with someone who can help you and removing foods isn't going to help the problem so if you do have something going on in your gut if you find relief eliminating foods that doesn't mean that you're done that just means that you're still masking symptoms if you were to reintroduce them back in you're probably going to react again so you're not actually dealing with the problem and it's similar to kind of conventional approach is just to give a band-aid to something so if you have food sensitivities and you're reacting and bloating to things, rather than just cutting out or alongside when you're cutting out, you need to do some work to heal your gut at the same time. So do a stool test, do a SIBO test. I'm not a fan of food sensitivity tests, but um, there's certain ones like the Cyrex panel that's quite expensive. I think it's like £300. I think that's like $500. And it is expensive, but it can be like a lifesaver for some people if they're eating spinach all day long and they have a spinach sensitivity then um it could be like a really healthy food but maybe not for you so i think just testing alongside um these type of protocols is really important to find out what's going on in your body and not just keep eliminating food get to the root cause of the problem whilst you're on um 
a bit of a limited diet because it shouldn't be forever, like a couple of months at the most. Because, like I mentioned, you can't really overcome these issues eating limited foods. But I understand that they can be therapeutic and even things like um, a low FODMAP diet. It could be used for a couple of weeks to relieve symptoms and help people feel a little bit normal. But alongside of that, you need to be killing off some bugs that are in your gut or supporting with digestive enzymes, fixing your adrenals if you're just stressed out your mind so that you don't have to continue in that pattern long term. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I have heard people say like, I've cut out gluten and dairy and it's been like a few months, but like, why am I not better? And like, how long do I have to do this for? And yeah, it's totally, we need to look at the root triggers, right? And Mm -hmm. for a lot of people, they can reintroduce foods like the spinach. I had that come up on my test. I was like, how is this? (laughs) But I had raw cacao come up too. I was like, damn it. But um, (laughs) but now I can, right? Like once you hear like that, then it can tolerate a lot of these foods. Might not be able to tolerate everything, but in moderate cases and you know moderate amounts should be fine but we definitely need to work on like healing the gut otherwise it's just going to stay permeable and it's going to get worse and worse yeah so if i just want to sorry i was just going to say if you if someone's in that place at the moment just remembering that remembering that it's not going to be a lifelong thing and maybe keep your goals in mind remembering why you're doing this and um just trying different things not not being so restrictive for so long and trying things in a bit of an order so start with the foods that are the least you're the you tolerate well and then increasing that a little bit and remembering that it's a process you can't go from a restrictive diet to eating everything that you used to in a week because you will feel terrible so it is a slow process but yeah anyone who's dealing with that at the moment just remember that it's not going to be a long-term thing if you start to address some of the the root causes because having multiple food sensitivities and having a limited diet it's not fun and it's not normal even though it is common yeah thank you for the recommendation i think that's really important to address and the last thing i want to really quickly address is i think a lot of people are told like yeah it's all in your head like you know are people with pcos women with pcos asking like why am i feeling depressed anxious does this have anything to do with pcos or blah blah, blah. so what is if you can kind of summarize quickly, what would be the link between like these factors, especially gut health and mental health? Like, is there a link? Are we going crazy? Um, is it actually like a physiological level? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. The gut and the brain are literally one. The, they are the same thing. They're connected by the vagus nerve. They were formed from the same embryonic tissue when you were growing in your mother's uterus. They literally formed from the same tissue, split in half and stayed connected via the vagus nerve. So hence the gut-brain connection, the gut feelings that you can have, the anxiety that leads to diarrhea or gas and bloating and nervousness, butterflies in your stomach. All of these quotes really do confirm that the gut-brain connection is absolutely real. And it's actually more signals coming from your gut to your brain than the other way around, which is absolutely crazy. And 90% of your serotonin is made in your gut, which is your happy, feel-good hormone. So you can imagine if there's chronic inflammation in your gut, then there's going to be chronic inflammation in your brain. And we know now that inflammation is the leading cause of all chronic disease, but particularly neurological and mental health disorders, whether that's dementia, autism, anxiety, um, all of these are driven by inflammation, often stemming from the gut. Obviously, there's other factors like environmental toxins, but... A big one is the gut and there's a common saying in functional medicine that 
if there's fire in the gut, there's fire in the brain. And I just love that quote because it really sums up everything. 100%. Yeah, it's totally connected. So definitely need to look into that. And it's even so interesting when you see studies like people treating the gut and their anxiety diminishes or goes away and depression, you know, gets better and all of that. So there is definitely a link and it's important to address that because if we're just giving, you know, antidepressants or whatever, we're not looking at the gut, then again, it's the band-aid, right? Absolutely. That's so true. So thank you so much for powering through this. I think we could talk forever. I know. <laughs> I will definitely need to get you back on. But can you chat to us a little bit about what you're doing, where we can find you, what's going on? Yeah, of course. So I'm based in the UK, if you can't already tell by the accent. <laughs> um, but I do see clients pretty much worldwide. As long as you've got Wi-Fi and you, ha- you speak fluent English, then I'm happy to work with you. Um, I have a few um, packages that I offer. Probably the listeners of this podcast may do well with the PCOS SOS uh, package or have a gut restore. So again, my speciality is gut, gut health and hormone health, particularly PCOS, because these are the things that I've been through myself. Um, so yeah, I work one-on-one with clients. I run the group coaching program and um, the most the current one is currently full so the next one will be run in october of this year 2019 um you can find me on instagram at viva natural health viva natural health and i have a lot of content on there so you could pretty much find out all the information that you need on my instagram and my blog i think i've covered pretty much every pcos subject that there is So you can spend a whole week going through that if you really wanted to, if that's something that you're interested in, learning about some more of these things as well. On my website, vivanaturalhealth.co.uk, you can download a ton of different resources on there. I have free guides and you can sign up for my weekly newsletter. And I also have a podcast, as I mentioned at the start, the Hormones in Harmony podcast. And I think if you like this podcast, you're going to enjoy the one that I do as well because it's pretty similar. And we... Um, we cover a lot of the same subjects as well so PCOS I talk about PMS hair loss gut health SIBO all of these different subjects as well and yeah I think that's everything Um, I spend a lot of my time on Instagram so definitely come and hang out on there if you're on Instagram as well love it I absolutely love your podcast and stalking you on all of your platforms honestly (laughs) content so yes I will put all the links in the show notes so you guys can check her out thank you so much for coming on really appreciate it and we will need to do this again soon yes thank you so much Lawrence and you'll be on my podcast in a couple of weeks time and I know we're doing a few collabs on Instagram too so I'm excited to yeah chat chat more with you about this this subject that we both obsess with Yep, we're not done. Lots more to come. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you loved the episode. As usual, if you do, I always appreciate a review on iTunes. Rating and review, really easy to do. Uh, You can just Google it if you don't know how to do it. Super straightforward. Takes three minutes, not even 30 seconds. And it really does help me and the podcast become more known for people to find. And it really does help a lot of people. So... Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. And if you do have any suggestions, questions, recommendations, things you want to hear, you can always check out um, my website, uh, the contact page, send me a message. And I'm always looking for topics or, you know, addressing different topics that you really want to talk about. So don't hesitate to reach out. Always looking for feedback and suggestions. And I really appreciate all of your support.